Last Wednesday night, we began a message that we titled Authentic, Authentic. I think there's something that continually resonates. In fact, we use the expression, it rings true. Something rings true. That is, there is an an ability to make a tone. Um, When people are, are tuning pianos and such, they can actually create a tone that rings true with something that they're measuring it by. Authenticity, this idea of there's something real about what we see. There's no person in here that is absolutely fully transparent all the time. You know, last, last week we, we talked about, have you ever been driving to church and, you know, you had kind of like that mini World War III in the vehicle on your way and, and then you get to church and, and um, you know, you're all big smiles and amen, pastor, you know, the whole deal. And, and it just doesn't ring true. There are a lot of imitations today. In fact, this has been one of those imitations for a long time. How many of you have ever owned a fake Rolex watch before? How many of you have ever owned a fake one? Few folks, you know, they do these fake and reels and sometimes the fake one's hard to discern, but there are some distinguishing marks of that which doesn't, so to speak, ring true. Uh, Here's another one. You can find these all over the place. In fact, if you look on eBay or wherever, um, any of you ever owned um, imitation or fake AirPods before? Any of you ever had those? And some of you are like, yeah, I'm using them right now. Okay, so... (laughs) So, you know, fake AirPods, the real ones versus the fake ones. There are these things that like, man, it's such a good imitation and it works well, but it's not the real thing. The old Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 edition, defines authentic as this. Having a genuine original in opposition to that which is false, fictitious, or counterfeit, being what it purports to be authentic. The world certainly is looking for that which is real. We, we flock to that which we think might be, but we want to do a little more investigation. We make claims, and sometimes even as a person is making a claim about themselves or the working of God, we stand back at times with arms folded and an eyebrow raised, questioning the authenticity of whatever it is. God has done a work in the heart of every believer that is ringing true to himself. It can be only the product of what God accomplishes. But what you and I demonstrate, what we show, what we begin to live in front of other people, whether that be other believers or the lost that are around us, is something that other people are looking to see, does that ring true? Last Wednesday night, we, we covered a couple things that we were basing on the, our text, which was Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verses 11 and 12. Here the Bible records this. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, the apostle Paul speaking, because he was to be blamed, for before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself fearing them that were of the circumcision. Well, Peter was, was one thing around one group of people, and then the apostle changes when he is confronted with another group from whom he senses some severe pressure to conform. 
Something now, when the Gentiles look at the apostle Peter and they just had dinner the night before, and, and I'm not being silly about this, he, they, they may have had ham sandwiches the night before. And now when the delegation comes and they're, they're tight with Pastor James from the Jerusalem church, the apostle Peter now, he begins to withdraw as if he doesn't really know those Gentiles all that well. So something about the apostle Peter in the eyes of the Gentile Christians doesn't seem to ring true. That's inconsistent. There's something that seems false about him. And the Bible says, the apostle Paul says, I, I withstood him to the face. I called him out on something that was less than authentic. So just by way of really brief review, what is authentic Christianity? And that's where we began last week. And we covered a couple of what we were calling some markers regarding this authentic walk in the faith. First of all, we just look briefly at, it's a realization that you can't please everyone. It's a realization you can't please everyone. Listen, so that we're clear about this, is that really the goal of our Christian walk? We might say it this way, you have one person to please, and when you settle that person, the rest of it will take care of itself. Um, I have written in the back of my Bible, my, my, um, my old Bible, not, not this one that is my replacement, but in the back of my old Bible, I have that phrase written. Somebody shared that or they were preaching it. In fact, I know the evangelist. It was, it was a, an evangelist that's now departed. He's in glory, but his name's Tom Farrell. And he wrote down, or he said, and I wrote it down. He said, you have nothing to prove and one person to please. Now, really, what we do want to prove is that Christianity works, but I don't have anything to prove to someone else. Lord, I just have to please you, and then my works will take care of themselves. So it's a realization you can't please everyone, and really, that's not the point anyways. Secondly, we talked about the fact that it's not blaming your present on your past. All of us have a history all of us have been influenced by our own traditions, by those things that we like, by our preferences, by our past. But the Apostle Peter, again, to use as an illustration, was the one that, that, that God comes to him and Jesus says very specifically, while Peter is praying, he's up on this rooftop, and this, this sheet comes down with all kinds of foods that he has never touched, never crossed the lips of his mouth. And, and God says to him, rise and eat. And he says, not so, Lord, not so, because I have never taken anything that's unclean. And then the, the, the very powerful line, what God's called clean, don't you dare call unclean, rise and eat. So, wow, Peter's still contemplating this. And then a delegation comes from the house of Cornelius and, and God told us to come get you. And, and now, the, I mean, the gospel's gonna go to the Gentiles through the apostle Peter. If Peter would have allowed his history, his past, to completely define his future, he would not have been the doorway through which the gospel initially comes to the Gentiles. Now, Peter's going to become or almost this title for the apostle Peter, the apostle to the Jews, the apostle Paul becomes what, what he also says, I'm, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, listen. The apostle Peter saw Gentiles saved. 
The apostle Paul saw, saw Jews saved, but primarily their ministry was to Peter, to the Jews, Paul, to the Gentiles. But Peter couldn't allow, like, I can't do this. Why not? Now, if he could say, I can't do this because it's morally wrong, then, then stand on that. But if he can't do it because it is his traditionally wrong, wow, he, he wasn't, because God is telling him very directly, Peter, don't you call unclean what I have called clean, rise and eat. It is recognizing, it is, it is not blaming your present on your past. Well, I can't do that today because of my past. No, 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 you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Okay, so then where did we get to in, in the third point? And we spent a little bit of time here, but, but we'll finish this out and this point and then move on. Number three, it is recognizing that your personal practice doesn't equal a public priority. I want us to think, and again, I know some of you might be saying, oh man, my brain is so filled right now, it doesn't have any room. Well, move some of the non-essential out and make a little room for this. Okay, what is this idea? It is recognizing that your personal practice doesn't equal a public priority. You say, pastor, what do you mean by that? Okay, let's consider two examples that didn't set a universal precedent by their personal practice. In other words, what they're not saying is everybody has to do it this way because this is the way I'm going to do it. This is so easy for us to fall into this trap. Everybody has to do it this way because this is the way that I do it. Look at the pattern, the examples that we have in scripture. First of all, in Acts chapter 16, verse number one. Acts 16, consider what happens with Timothy with what happens with Timothy, as it pertains to the Jewish law. Then came he to Derbe and to Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus. Who is it he that came? That's the Apostle Paul. Uh, there was a certain disciple there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed. But his father was a Greek. Okay, so Timothy's mom is a devout Jew. Um, her mom, uh, uh, Timothy's mom is a Jew. His mom's mom is a Jew. Timothy has a history now of Jewish tradition. But his dad's a Greek. So apparently through the course of, of these two, his mom's a Jew, his dad's a Greek. Timothy is not subjected to all the customs that would be appropriate for someone who is fully Jewish as pertaining to the law. So let's look a little bit further in this passage. Verse number two, which was well reported of, Timothy's got a good testimony by the brethren that were in Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. They had come up with some things that were supposed to be uh, important for everybody, Jew or Greek. And he says, verse number five, and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now this is primarily speaking about the Jews. Okay, so what happens with Timothy? Well, Timothy, again, he has a, a Jewish mom, uh, a, a Gentile, a Greek father, 
And when it comes time to minister, he's got a great reputation. He's known the Holy Scriptures from a child. Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Listen, he's, he's in good shape. But he goes, he has not fully subjected himself to the, to the laws of the Jews. And Paul knows, everybody knows his dad's a Greek. They're, gonna, they're also going to know he's not fully submitted himself to the Jewish laws. He's not going to be able to go minister to the Jews that we're going to be preaching to. Timothy is going to limit the advancement of the gospel. And Timothy submits himself to the Jewish laws. And then do you know what the result is? And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Wow, that's a good result, right? Okay, so maybe this should be the pattern for everybody because this is what Timothy did and the gospel is advanced. Well, what do you do about a guy named Titus? Now we have another person. How does Paul react to Titus? Okay, Paul's going to give a report in Jerusalem. He's going to tell about some things that are going on. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 1. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. He, Titus now says, hey, listen, I, I, I don't want to come underneath the Jewish laws. I don't see any reason for that. It is justification by faith alone. And to which the apostle Paul says, uh, amen, Titus, amen. And do you know what Paul does? Now, Paul stands with Titus regarding this decision. He's not going to say, I know, but, but I really think for the advancement of, no, 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 no. This is going to serve another really important picture. Do you know how confusing it would be now to every Gentile who was not brought up in the traditions of the Jewish faith? Do you know how confusing it would have been to them? Like, wow, okay, so Titus, he's, he's one of the leaders. He's traveling with the apostle Paul. He subjects himself to the Jewish laws. So do we have to do this for salvation? And the apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. He's not compelled to do that. Fine. Let's let him stand as the example of justification by faith alone, apart from the works of the law. You know, you start to consider Titus and Timothy. Paul instructs Timothy to follow the Jewish laws, but not Titus. Timothy has a Jewish mother, a Gentile father. Titus is full-blooded Greek, a Gentile. Timothy is raised Jewish. Titus raised a Greek. Timothy's going to go minister to the Jews. His lack of following the Jewish laws would have hindered that work greatly. Titus was an ongoing example of justification by grace alone to the Gentiles. For him to follow the Jewish laws would have muddied the water and brought confusion to the Gentile Christians. Do you, do you understand when we start to talk about it, it's recognizing that your personal practice doesn't equal a public priority. You have two different people with two different conclusions that are not trying to force this on everybody. Was it okay for Christians in Paul's day to say, you know, I still want to practice the, um, the, the, the keeping of the feasts. Was it okay for them to do that? You say, well, well, you don't have to do that anymore. I know, but I'm asking, is it okay for them to do that? Sure. 
So long as they see, listen, this has nothing to do with me being saved. These are just powerful, ongoing pictures of my salvation. Uh, Well, what about that other group? That other group is going to say, hey, you guys should stop following all of those traditions. You guys, we're free in Christ. Listen, you are free in Christ. You don't have to follow the feasts. You don't have to follow all the ordinances. That's, that's okay. But, but don't, don't tell them they can't. And these people who are, don't tell them they have to. Our public, you know, preferences, our personal preferences don't equal a public priority. The point is it may not look the same for everyone all the time, not even the same individual all the time. We'll look at that again in just a moment. There were some Jews who wanted to keep the feasts, some Gentiles who did not. The church allowed the Jews to do so, so long as they use them as right pictures. But when they forced everyone to keep the feast, because this is what the true followers of God do, they destroy a biblical picture. They've crossed the line. On the other side of the equation, there would be some who would want to force everyone to not keep the feast. Again, it's not the biblical pattern. I thought this was important, at least it registered with me. This was descriptive of Paul's actions. It was not a prescription for everyone. This is something that's, okay, we're describing his actions and the Bible does that, but he is not prescribing these actions for everyone. I know this can at times be confusing and people can use things like this to destructive ends. There is a necessary level of maturity for principles that we're referencing tonight. There is an understanding of the necessary aspect of spiritual maturity, but the Bible does tell us, let's go on leaving the principles that we first, the foundational things, the infant things. He says, come on, let's go on to perfection. Really what he's saying in Hebrews, let's go on to maturity. And this is a principle of the Christian walk that as believers, we should start to chew on and begin to understand. Um, Dr. H.A. Ironside, one of the great um, um, preachers of days gone by, he's now in glory, but Ironside told the story years ago, he was preaching at a conference in Detroit, and after the service there was a church picnic, they were just outside and they're enjoying some, some food, let me read what Ironside wrote, he said there after the service, the, pip, the picnic, um, he met a former Mohammedan from India, who was the head of a lucrative business, had come to know the Lord personally as a savior. He was talking with this man when a young lady came by passing out sandwiches and asked them if they'd like any. Dr. Ironside took some and the former Mohammedan asked, what are they? And the young lady that was serving said, "Um, there's fresh pork and there's ham. And then he asked the question, he says, have you any beef or fish or lamb? And she answered, no. And he said, thank you, young lady, um, but I won't have any. And she did this. Ironside records that laughingly she said, "Uh, why, Mr. Ali, you surprise me. Are you so under the law that you cannot eat pork? Don't you know that a Christian is at liberty to eat any kind of meat? He said, you know, I was brought up a strict Mohammedan. My old father, nearly 80 years of age now, is still a Mohammedan. Every three years I go back to India to render an account of the business which my father is really the head and and to visit with the folks at home. Always, always 
when I get home, I know how I will be greeted. The friends will be sitting inside. My father will come to the door when the servant announces that I am there. And he will say, Muhammad, have those infidels taught you to eat the filthy hog meat yet? No, father, I will say. Pork has never passed my lips. Then I can go in and have the opportunity to preach Christ to them. And then he tells this young lady, if I took one of your sandwiches, I could not preach Christ to my father the next time I go home. Now, is, is this man making a prescription for everyone? And the answer is no. But does he understand this is descriptive of my actions? It is not supposed to be a prescription for yours. Do you know there may be some things that God is calling people in this room to and you will say, I'm going to set this aside because this would hinder the work that God has called me to do. There might be some young youth pastors in here and you might say, I have liberty to do this, but you know, this would hinder the work that I'm going to be doing with teenagers and I'm going to set this aside. There might be some people in some different profession and you'd say, I have the liberty to do this, but this would be confusing for someone else. Do you know, this might be your practice, but it's something that you might not be able to say, this is the practice that is supposed to be for everyone. It's descriptive of yours, but not prescriptive for all. So what do we see in the, in the third point that we're talking about? It's recognizing that your personal practice doesn't equal a public priority. Number four, it is allowing only the right things to restrict your freedom. Now, let me say that again. It is allowing only the right things to restrict your freedom. Now, at times, we can find some sense of restriction, but for wrong reasons. Okay, I'm going to again state the obvious. I know we're campus church, but I also know um, our clientele. So we have a lot of people from the Pensacola broader community. We're all in this community. We have people from the broader community um, that, that are here at Campus Church. And then we have people that are from a closer community, a closer community. By that I say, well, you're, you're functioning on this campus every day. You're a, a faculty member, but you're here at Campus Church. You're some staff member, you're here at Campus Church. And then we have not just our, our, you know, our, our community presence, our broader community, our closer community, and then we have our college community. Okay, okay so I, I get the, the, the makeup of Campus Church. All right, you know, because there, there is a large representation of people that are institutionally a part of something like, wow, this is a big institution. Um, um, by that, I'm saying Pensacola Christian College, where campus church is positioned. Do you know, sometimes we get a little frustrated, like, oh, they're restricting my liberty. You, you need to clear up your mind about institutional aspects of, no, this is an institutional rule. It's there because this is an institution, and institutions that are large institutions have to come together and say, hey, we're going to do this because this helps us with consistency. It helps us so that we're all doing the same thing. But again, the institution's not saying, okay, this is, this is prescriptive for everyone outside of the institution. They're just saying this is part of the institution. So, so don't get too hung up on, well, the institution says I have to or I can't. Really, so much of that is just institutional. It's because it's a big place, a lot of people. So we're all going to do it this way, okay? 
then we have sometimes this idea of, okay, well, when I, when I start to think of, you know, restricting my freedom, well, what should restrict my freedom? Remember, set aside institution. That's a whole different discussion. Look at this passage of scripture. We'll put it on the screen for you to see. You're certainly welcome to turn to any of these and, and underline or mark or, or maybe it helps you visually in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. Again, the Apostle Paul writing, for though I be free from all men, wow, that's a lot of freedom, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Wow. I, I have all kinds of freedom, but I come underneath. Why? Because I have a purpose. I want to gain those for the cause of Christ. And under the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law is under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, he's talking about ceremonial law, not moral law. To them that are without law, um, being not without law to God, not without moral law, but under the law to Christ that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be a partaker thereof with you. Now remember, our freedom has nothing to do with the moral law. What we're not saying is why I don't have to obey any law right now. No, the moral law was already written in your heart. God codified it in the 10 commandments. So don't say that, well, you know, I, I can do anything. Grace is never an entitlement to sin. Let me say that again. Grace is never an entitlement to sin. Well, we're not under the law, but under grace. Amen. And we thank God for that. But grace, don't ever use grace as your, your, your special sin card. And I can do anything I want because I'm under grace. There's another law that God has written in our hearts. It's God's moral law. It's true for all people, all places, and all times. Grace doesn't exempt us from moral lives. Grace also teaches us that even living a moral life doesn't grant me special favor with God. That comes only through the person of Jesus Christ. So, so what do I understand? It's allowing only the right things to restrict my freedom. Okay, so I'm going to allow right things, purposes bigger than myself, to restrict my freedom. We don't have a lot of time, and I want to cover the last point. But notice something like Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Fear of man, that's not a good reason to restrict your freedom. Like, what are they going to think? What are they going to say? Now, Paul was curious about or interested in what will they, if they think this, is this going to hinder my ministry? So he said, okay, I'm not going to do that because that's going to hinder my ministry. But if it only begins and ends with, well, well what's everybody going to think? That's a lousy reason to say I, I have to restrict what I do because what is everybody else going to think? Lastly, what is this um, authentic Christianity? It's protecting the unity of the church from our preferences. It is protecting the unity of the church from our preferences. It's saying I have to insert my preferences on the work of the church. Listen, okay, now, now think, okay, and, and we're about to, to land the plane, but think with me. If church satisfies every one of your preferences, are you going to church only because it, it, 
ticks off every one of your boxes. Like, oh, they, they do everything I like. Every song that is sung, every choir number that's done, every way they assemble, every time they assemble, every Sunday school lesson. I mean, everything. It all, listen, that finally meets my preferences. Wow. Is that the only thing that drives us to assemble as a called out body of Jesus Christ? Then I, I sometimes wonder if church meets only, if I only am engaged because church finally meets all of my preferences. Really, is it more about Jesus Christ or is it more about me and the church centering on my preferences? It really is a profound thought when we start to think of it. Is anything that is involved, where people are involved, humans are, are involved in the work, is anything ever always going to absolutely please you? Um, this is just almost humorous. But, you know, when, when, when Julie and I were serving, ministering in Colorado, we had a Christian school. I can remember at times, you know, and, and you know, we have a child in the Christian school and, and, and some rule would come up. Now, I'm the guy that's over the church and over the school. And sometimes I would say, what in the world were they thinking about some rule? Who's the they? It's me, Okay. Like, what in the world were they thinking? That is the, oh, wait, that's me. Hang on just a second. You know why I say that? Because sometimes we don't even agree with ourselves. We can't even come to terms at times with our own preferences. Listen, if church is only about checking off all of, of your boxes, maybe it's more about you than it is about the one that we're coming to actually assemble around. Okay, so what's the passage of scripture? Ephesians 2, beginning in verse number 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. Like, oh, wow, we're one with the saints. And of the household of God. Wow, it, these are like family terms. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Wow, what a wonderful passage. And then uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Whenever the church submits themselves one to another, it means that somebody's going to set aside something of their preferences. Well, what I like in church is... I know. Does that mean that everybody in church likes that? Well, not necessarily. There's something authentic about a believer who can see something bigger than their preferences. And, and something wonderfully refreshing about Christians when they come together and they set aside some of their preferences for something bigger than that. And now, in love, they are actually serving one another. Whenever we submit ourselves to one another, it means that somebody is going to set aside something of their preferences. Very seldom do we all see everything eye to eye. This could pertain to a variety of practices, to singing from a hymn book, to singing on a screen, to wearing a tie, to not wearing a tie, to growing a beard, not growing a beard. I mean, whatever you want to put in there. Well, the, the way I really want it to be done, I also understand this dynamic of campus church. You think about an assembled body of believers. 
I'm certain there are other places. I'm, I'm not aware of them, that's the truth, but I'm certain that there are, and I don't mean to make us so uniquely special, but one of the unique special things about Campus Church is that you have people gathering together from so many different walks of life, so many different histories, so many different traditions, so many different churches, and we all assemble around one person whose name is Jesus Christ. When you have an assembly that is so uniquely ordered like Campus Church and there can be something that's beautifully produced out of it, do you know what that means? It means that there are people, and I mean like, wow, that's a lot of people who are, I'm setting aside this preference and another person, I'm setting aside this preference and another person, I'm setting aside this. For what purpose? Wow, because that's not the priority. My being able to say, me individually, being able to say, I want my preferences inserted. No, no, no. I want to insert the unity, the integrity of the church. Now, again, I know this takes some maturity. There are people who could say, well, let's, let's play with this preference. And now it starts to lead down what we sometimes refer to as a, as a slippery slope or a problematic conclusion. I know that. I'm not saying we toss out everything. There are certainly traditions and preferences and histories that are just part of campus church. We know that. But church, so many of you are going to be thrust out into so many different unique places, literally around the world. Isn't it going to be wonderful when you come together with a body of believers that are not there simply because of their preferences. They're there because of a person whose name is Jesus the Christ. There is only one before whom all of us live with true, absolute authenticity. In Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse one, it says, in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multiple multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, they're stepping on each other. He, Jesus, began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be made known. There is one before whom there is no hiding place. May we strive to live as transparently or as authentically on this side of heaven so that there's not much surprise on the other side.